Amen. Well, good morning, church. How are you? Are, are you? are you awake, or is that our gotcha? You dragging a little bit? Yeah. I went to bed an hour early thinking that'll do it, right? I mean, it makes sense mathematically. No, it doesn't make sense in reality, right? We're dragging around. It's just what happens. I don't understand. Um, but when you show up and there's a fire blazing in the forest behind you, you know, you get a little wide awake uh, in that. So, uh, so that was something this morning. Another weird thing happened this morning as well. Just about uh, 30 minutes ago or so, I found uh, somebody's shirt in the men's bathroom laying over the, um, the bathroom stall. So if you see a shirtless man uh, in here, should stick out. Uh, just let him know. I've got his shirt in the kitchen this morning. So strange happenings on a morning like this. Oh. Well, <laughs> Okay, it all connects, it all connects. Hey, well, grab your Bible. We're going to be in John chapter 13, um, and we're going to go a little different this morning. Uh, you're going to get the scripture, it's going to pop on the screen in a minute, then it's going to go away, and everything I chat about this morning, I'm going to hand you the notes of this sermon after your words, after when you leave. I know for, a couple of you guys are like, you're killing me, that's what gets me locked in. I stare at the notes, and I look for the blanks, and and wait for those. Um, but uh, I'm wrestling this week with this. I'm down in Orlando. I'm at a conference. Um, uh, all conference stuff all week, right? I didn't go out and just have fun and play golf more than once while I was down. I mean, I was locked in. But I'm sitting at the conference, and, and I'm kind of flushing this message out. I had the outline kind of put together a few weeks ago, but I'm flushing this out. And this is the thought that came to me as I was kind of, kind of working on this. I thought, God, they know this. <laughs> They, they already know this message, you know, and, and always in my head, uh, you know, as a preacher, sometimes we never lock on, we never, we, this never latches into our understanding that we sometimes have to th- hear things multiple times, do we not, right? Look, parents with kids, did you just tell your kid to clean up the room once? Okay, I, I know, I know, uh, by the laughter, Yeah. And, and so I, I'm trying to wrestle with God saying, like, God, they know this stuff. Like, they know this already. It's not like it's a new message. And so I thought, let's pass over this section of Scripture. And God's all like, no, you will not pass over the Passover, which is what we're going through. You will lock in and you will share this message this morning. And somebody who's heard a sermon very similar a hundred times, you know, because you've been in church for many years, will have something ignite in them that they didn't expect ignite from this. And so I flushed it out, and we have a sermon this morning. Just think, had I not flushed it out, I would have just dismissed you a couple minutes ago. And now you're thinking, man, man, God. So John chapter 13, we're going to look at two verses, chapter, uh, verse 34 and 35. And like I tell you always, um, you put your eyes on it, take a look at it, and work through it yourself. Um, I know just about all of you have a phone. You can look at this verse Um, Because I want you to pick up on one thing in here that I'm guessing you've never picked up on in this passage before. Or if you've picked up on it, you might not have heard, you might not have caught the ramifications of what Jesus is actually saying here. So, in the context of something you've heard many, many times, let God reveal something that might be new this morning. Here's what the passage says. It's just two verses. This is right after where we ended last week, right? Where they were reclining and uh, Jesus was speaking with his, his followers. 
Here's what he says. I give you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you, so you also must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you're my disciples when you love each other. The word of God for the people of God. So Judas has just slipped out, right? It's an odd time for Judas to slip out. The meal's not even done yet, but he's gone, takes off, and you know the story of what's going to happen, but we're going to walk through it next week anyway. So Judas slips out, and whatever Jesus is going to do, whatever he's going to say, however he's going to wrap up this meal or teach or speak in, he's got to do it now because I think he's got a pretty good idea of what's coming and how quick things are going to happen once Judas sets it in motion. So he needs to say what he needs to say now. Now, if you go back one verse, if you're looking at it, you'll see in verse 33, you'll see he starts this with saying, little children, how about that? You know, you're his follower for three years, and he goes, children. Well, that's how he starts it. He says, I'm going I'm to be with you for a, while, a little while longer. You will look for me, but just as I told the Jewish religious leaders, I will tell you now where I'm going you can't come. Can you imagine? I mean, these guys had followed him, had been his closest followers for the last three years. They had seen what he'd seen. They had done a lot of what he was telling them to do. He, they had even participated and done some of the things that they saw him do. They went out and did even some of the miraculous. And now he's saying, I'm going to be leaving you guys. And where I'm going, you can't come. That's jarring. Why was he leaving? Like, where was he going? Why couldn't they go with him? Now, if you read that verse and then you finish the Gospels, you'll actually see that chances are none of them actually heard what he was saying there, or it didn't sink in what he was talking about. But he continues. He says, I give you a new what? Commandment. It's odd. They Listen, they needed a new commandment kind of like... I, I don't, they didn't need a new commandment, right? The 600 commandments that they knew up till now that flowed out of the Old Testament, not to mention the ones that the Pharisees had put together just to cover anything that may not have been covered, that had occupied their life pretty well up till now. Like, listen, you got teenage kids? Ask your kids if they need another rule in your household. They will probably not say, yeah, love one, right? What do you got in mind? They said, no, 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 we're good. I think we got enough, enough rules around here, right? My son and I had a conversation yesterday about strictness, you know, uh, and what that, that word meant. And I didn't view us as overly strict. Um, and yet we might have a different interpretation of uh, one another. Do we not, Thomas? So, Oaks, right, that is true. That was pretty wise when I said that, wasn't it? It's pretty good. All right, you're, you're right. Thank you. Yeah. What was I talking about up here? <laughs> oh, all the commandments. So they, they've got plenty of commandments that they're going through. They don't need another commandment. And besides, hadn't Jesus already reduced all the commandments to two? And hadn't he already said, let me rearrange all this, right? And let me give you headings. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Hadn't he already done this? So why another one? And... What gave Jesus the authority to add commandments? 
I mean, it's one thing to rearrange and retitle it by saying, hey, all of these commandments you know, all 600 or so, they really can be summed up in these two. But now he's saying, I'm going to add a new commandment. I mean, listen, they understood they were calling him Messiah up till now, but didn't only God have the authority to add commandments? So this is all going on. I give you a new commandment. And here's what he says. I give you a new commandment. Love each other. Love each other. Now, here's what's interesting you may not pick up on is Jesus puts this in the imperative form, right? Any English teachers out there, right? Our English sticklers out there in the imperative form. Like, you know, when you put something in the imperative form, what are you doing? You are offering command. You are telling them to go do it, right? Have you ever caught your tone when you ask maybe your kids to do something? You might say, hey, do you, you, know, do you want to clean up your room? And your kids pick up on that right away and go, no, I don't, you know. And you say, well, it wasn't really a question. But you put it in the question form, right? And you go, I'll never make that mistake again, <laughs> right? And from now on, go clean up your room. And you'll say it as if an exclamation point is understood, right? That's imperative. Jesus puts it in the imperative form. So if you like to break down the Greek and see how that works, you, you're welcome to do that on your own. But he is putting this into a command form. Do you remember the old DC talk song, Love is a Verb? No? Do you remember? Love, love, love is a verb. That's as far as I'm going to go, Chris, with it. If you, no, that's it. That was my singing right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so that, that, like, that's what the song is all about, this type of imperative form, that this is an action. This is a command. You are supposed to do something. This one is not about feeling. Not about feeling. Have you ever understood or seen somebody who's in a relationship and they say, we love each other, and they treat each other like trash, right? Or they just, they can never get along, they can never speak well of one another, they fight and they fight and they, I mean, they low blow it and all that kind of stuff, and then on Facebook, it's all like, I just love you so much, I'd never want it to be any different. I'm like, you wouldn't? Never? What? Jesus is putting it in a command form. Go love. Can you see Jesus as a marriage counselor, you know, sitting in front of two people? Just, and look, will you two just go home, love each other? Oh, and that's it. So $100. Uh, you know, it's imperative. Go over there and love that person is what he's saying. But loving, loving wasn't really new, was it? Telling people to love one another, that wasn't really new. Had Jesus not already talked through this with an amazing story of the Good Samaritan to help them understand that it's not just your best buddy, it's not just the neighbor you like on this side, it's also the neighbor you don't like on this side, right? It's that person who even culturally you say, I think we're at odds, you know. It's everyone. Hadn't Jesus already talked about that? So it's not really that new. But what came next? What he would say next would change things. It would I, actually, I think it's not too big to say it would change the world, really. It would add something new, and it would set a definition of really what it means to be a Christ follower. Here's what he says Just as I have loved you, so you must also love each other. What does Jesus say in a simple statement like that? Jesus says, I'm the gold standard for how you're supposed to go out in love. If there's a question mark for you on how to love people, think about how I have loved you. Think about our interactions. Think about the last three years. Think about what you know of me, what I've done. Think about how I've spoke the words of the Father. This is love, 
And out of that should flow your understanding of going and loving each other. Not doing for others what you hope others would do for you, right? That's good. We call that what? Golden rule, right? But Jesus takes it somewhere else and he instructs his followers to do unto others as he had done unto them. They would love the way he had loved them. That was new. And really, if you start to flush it out, that raised the bar. Because now they had real action in front of them. They real things they saw all the time that they could turn around now and do for others. Here's what I want to do. I want to share with you uh, where I think this hits us practically. But I need to, I need to step back just a moment and, and, uh, and share with you just about love so you understand about God's love. And then I want to share with you about where this leads us, what we just talked about. So can I just share these two things? We'll call them one and two here this morning uh, if you want to take notes or if you want to jot things down. Here's the first one. And this is what I wrestled with. It's nothing new, right? You are loved. Like, you got to grab that. Brian just spoke words that I thought were pretty powerful. Brian, I almost wrote those down and said, I'll just preach those when I get up there. Um, but to speak about the idea that if we don't understand God's love, how do we then turn around and flush that love out for others? It's very, very difficult to do that. But when we really understand God's love, but here's what I think. I think most of us understand, most of us as Christians have locked in the fact that God loves. But I'm not sure we've all embraced, understood, received, and find joy that he loves you. That you individually are loved dearly. But you are, and you have to understand that first. The disciples first had to understand that Jesus loved them and seemed to love everyone he came in contact with. He seemed to interact with people in different ways than anybody else that they understood. And so uh, for them, they're like, this is what love is. This is what it's really like. And so for us, the same way is the question would be, do you understand you're loved? That you're really loved by God? I think his actions prove it out. Now, there's so many ways we look for love, do we not? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of ways. We don't always title it, I'm looking for love, uh, but often we are. We look for love in things, right? If I can get this many things or maybe uh, up your salary or maybe these type of things, I will find satisfaction, I will find joy. All these are components or byproducts of what we hope for in being loved. So we look for it in things. We certainly look for it in others, do we not? We look for it maybe in a, a lifelong partner, maybe in friendships, maybe in, hey, if I could just have connection with my boss or any. I mean, we're looking for love in, in connections, in relationships. Why? Because we understand that to really know love the best, we know love relationally. We know love personally. So we look in things. We look in people. But there's a big one that, that probably has risen up quite a bit, at least in our cultural language that we use, and that's love of self as well. We used to say that, we, no, that's selfish, or selfishness, right? And we teach our kids, don't be selfish. But there's a way that this is kind of flung back 
into a side where it sounds like very healthy talk to talk about self. I need to take care of myself. I need to take a personal day. I need to do, there we, we talk about these things, which are grounded in things that are important, right? A healthy self-image, important, right? To love yourself and not hate yourself, important. But if we're not careful, what we do even in that is we put Jesus and God out of it. We put his love out of it. And we just simply try to find the love we have for ourselves. Here's how I wrote it out this week. I want to say it similar. Um, I want to remind you this morning that you don't have to, you don't have to live the burden of self-promotion. We feel like we do. We feel like I need to promote myself. I need to have my name out there. I need to brand myself. That's a burden. And it's a burden because it's disconnected from the love God has for you. The love God has that says you. You don't have to promote yourself. You don't have to have all those likes on your social media, right? You don't have to look like that other person. So that's a burden, and you don't have to live the burden of self-promotion. You don't have to live the burden of self-discovery either. I just need to go find myself. I need to go discover who I am. All of these sound like very positive things, and I think there is some truth in that, but when we detach it from God entirely then we have a journey just of self where God says, let me show you who I've designed you to be. Let me show you what I've built into you and what I've created within you. It's probably more wonderful than anything you think you're going to self-discover on your own. It's a burden, self-discovery, apart from God. God wants to walk you through it. Here's another one. I know this is super countercultural. You don't have to live the burden of self-love. Self-love is a burden. To say, I just, I, I, I just need to love myself. I need to put everybody else off in this season of my life, quit helping everybody else, and I just need to focus on me for right now. All of those words kind of have this twinge of truth, like they sound like, yeah, that sounds right, that's what. But when we detach ourselves from God's love, how do we really accomplish it? How do I really accomplish self-love when I detach it from God's love that he has for me. That's where I find, that's where I find that love. So you can be loved by Jesus. You can know who you are in Jesus and you can know you're of great value in Jesus. Why? Because of the first thing I want to remind you, that you are loved. You're loved so dearly and deeply. Listen, I understand a lot about who I am and how I was created and what I can do and, and how I'm empowered because of the love my wife has for me. Like, and some of you are married, so you're like, yeah, I understand that. I get that, right? Like, you, you have that. And that makes sense. Because of that relational love, because of that, and for us it's about, it's, well, 27 years of marriage and then our dating time. Um, and you have your story, you have your length, right? And you understand that. The same is true with God, but on a richer and even deeper level when we understand the love he has. But I think if we lift our feet to culture, we will go in a direction of self, self, and self, detached from the love God has. So that's the first thing I want to remind you of. And that leads us, maybe I should just keep these on. That leads us to what's significant about this passage and what Jesus is redirecting us. You are to love. 
that's what you were designed to do. It's not just that you're commanded to do it, but you were designed to love others. That's how God set it up for you now to go out and love others. Listen, when we read the passage like this, just as I have loved, we think of the cross, do we not? I mean, that's the first thing you think of. I am loved. Jesus went to the cross for me. But guess what the disciples thought of? Not the cross. Jesus hadn't gone there yet. They didn't in their head, when Jesus said that, they didn't say, oh, thank you for going to the cross and dying on the cross for me. What did they think of? They thought of the day in and day out things that they saw in Jesus. They're like, remember that time when we stopped? We were kind of pushed through a crowd and we stopped and there was some little guy up in a tree and Jesus said, come on down. We're all going to your house for dinner. Hope you have a lot of food in the fridge. You know, do you remember what happened in that house? We don't know, but the, you know, they might have known. But when they came out of that house, man, that guy and his household were changed. Well, what about like uh, a Nathaniel? You know, remember that time when Jesus was calling you to come be a follower? And what did you say? You know, even before that, you said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, remember Nathaniel, like, you dissed me. You dissed my whole town. And yet I called you to follow her, and I never brought it up again. They saw all of these things over and over and over. Now, you and I get to see those, and man, we get to add the cross. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, look, if you think I've loved you to now, you know, buckle up. Because you've seen nothing yet. And he goes to the cross very soon after. We get to look back and always see the cross. We always have that to look back, to see what Jesus has done in our life. That's how we're to love. This is what Jesus is basically saying. Look, when you look back and you take an inventory of how you've been loved, he's turning to the disciples and saying, that's how I want you to go love. When I forgave you, that's what I want you to do. Go out and forgive others. When I've extended grace to you when you didn't seem to deserve it, that's what I want you to do. When I said I'm not here to judge you, I'm here to offer salvation, that's how I want you to go love other people. And on and on and on. That is what Jesus is saying. So when we sing the song, the famous song we sing, you know, Saved a Wretch Like Me, you know, we love that part of that song. I do, right? All right? I know if you're brand new to the church, you're like, what song is he talking about? Again, not going to sing it. Oh, sorry, Lynn. But when we sing that, Save the Rich, guess what Jesus is saying? Go love people that way. Go love people and offer that, just like you get all welled up inside when you sing it. Go offer it to someone else. That's what Jesus is saying. You are to love. And just as in the Old Testament, just as the covenant God made with Israel in the Old Testament, we've walked through this uh, in our first season of John last year. Just as in that covenant, there were laws that came along with the covenant. This is how you flush out the covenant that I've offered. This is how you live out the covenant that I've given you. Here are some laws that go with it. They work hand in hand. They work beautifully together if you would follow the covenant that you've committed and the laws I've, I've provided. So too, Jesus is saying that here. This, if you want to call it new covenant, if you would be a follower of me, there's some commands that come with it. And this is like gold, platinum level command. Love others the way I have loved you. Love others just as I have loved you. Oh, hey, by the way, don't forget to love others the way you'd like them to love you. 
but love others the way I have loved you. It takes it to a whole nother level, and that is new. That is what Jesus has called you and I to do. But I think it really flows out of you understanding God's love for you. When you offer yourself to God, when you surrender your life to him, when, as Brian shared, great, when there's a quarter or a half, you know what God will do? He'll say, you only give me a quarter of your heart? I'll take it. I'll take it. Now, I can't quite do in your life what I could do, but I guess I'll take it. But when we offer ourselves in full, like David saying, Lord, if there be any way within me, would you speak to my heart? I surrender it before you. We understand love, and guess what God does? He turns us around, and he just ignites us and sends us out to do it for others. And that's what this passage that you've heard before is all about this morning. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you. Uh, Nothing different than we do regularly. I just want to pray. But I said something earlier. I said, look, somebody came in here, and you didn't expect to Surrender your life to Christ this morning. Somebody came in here and you did not expect to recommit your life to Christ. You didn't even think, I mean, that was not even a possibility because you're like, I'm good. What do I need that for? Somebody came in and said, I just wasn't going to give myself over to worshiping God this morning. Um, But somebody will, and this might be the time in a prayer time for you to just go before God. Listen, Brian and Janice won't be back up here. We're not going to play canned music overhead. We're just going to quietly go before God for a little while and let you speak to him the way you'd like to do. So, um, so Lord, hear our hearts now. Would you hear us now? Hear the one that's crying out to you. Hear the one that's surrendering to you. Now hear the one that just, it's logically in their head. I need this. And they're going to say it. Go ahead, you speak to God. Father, if somebody surrendered their life for the first time, would you right now, may they feel and know how pleased you are with them. Would they know they're loved and they are received in? Father, if there's somebody that has re-surrendered their life, maybe they did it during, through confession this morning, they've re-offered themselves. Father, would they see the smile? Would they see the smile of their God? And Lord, would they be loved and know it? And would they understand they're forgiven? They're good. So, Father, I want you to lead us out now and and send us out to love. Father, there likely is somebody who will really be a challenge to love, maybe this afternoon, maybe in the car home. I don't know, Lord. Oh, Father, would you empower us through your spirit to love? Would we receive it and would we show it? I pray in your son's name. Amen.